0: everyone, my name is Jessica Storchuk and I'm the historian behind the blog and historian about town. Uh, I study popular history and academic history and I mostly focus on royals and Christmas history and I'm also a, re- a reporter for Royal Central so I try to stay as up to date on the royals as I can but I always love going into the
1: past. Hello, and I want to welcome Jessica Storschach, who is joining us on the podcast today to talk about Royals and Royal Christmases. I'm delighted to have you here. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me here today. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Now, I wonder... If you could just introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit, tell us a little bit about you. I know we were chatting earlier about what got you into history, but if you could share that with everybody and tell us what brought you to your An Historian About Town blog. So yes,
0: I'm an historian. I did two undergraduate degrees and a master's degree in history, and I've been fascinated with history ever since I was a child. I saw the movie Anastasia in the late 1990s and discovered the Royal Diary series that was out at the same time, and I kind of fell in love with that. Um, and yes, my blog is my big outlet, though I am applying to go back for my PhD. Uh, my blog, and Historian About Town, it's kind of a mix of history, culture, and style, and I started it once I went back into the working world after my master's, and I wanted an outlet. And I still loved researching and writing history, but I wanted to make it a bit more uh, approachable and friendly. So I started my blog, um, and that's been my outlet
1: ever since. One of your recent blog posts really grabbed my attention, and that was the one about Queen Alexandra's Christmas gift book. I thought that was so fascinating. So let's start by talking just a little bit about Queen Alexandra. What's her background and how did she become the Queen Consort? What can you tell us about her? So
0: Queen Alexandra of Denmark is one of my favorite royals. She kind of gets ignored um, or written off, shall I say, as the beleaguered wife of edward the seventh and i'll get into that in a second but she was the consort obviously to edward the seventh so she spent much of her adult life as the princess of wales um she was born to king christian the ninth of denmark so where queen victoria is known as the grandmother of europe uh Christian the Ninth is quite often known as the grandfather of Europe because he also married his children and further generations across uh, the courts of Europe. Uh, Alexandra's sister, uh, known in the family as Minnie, uh, was the second last empress of Russia, and she did make it out of Russia during the Revolution. Um, But Alexandra grew up in Denmark. She had a fairly quaint and happy childhood. She was Always known to be incredibly beautiful, and that would continue throughout her life. Um, And Prince Albert had chosen Alexandra to be uh, Edward, aka Bertie's wife, before he died. And Victoria went ahead with it. So Alexandra was brought over from Denmark to marry the Prince of Wales, and she was immediately loved by the British. She was fairly quiet. Be uh, she was partially deaf, so she couldn't always hear what people were saying. But she was beautiful. She appeared to be listening, and the British people were immediately in love with her. Um, and one of my favorite facts about her is that she had a bit of a limp from a childhood illness, and she had a scar on her throat from a uh, surgery. So she would wear high collars and in an attempt to imitate her, people would walk with a limp and would wear really high collars. Um, even though they didn't have a limp and they didn't have a scar, they still sought to imitate her. Um, and her, she was known for her fashion. That was her kind of her main draw for people. And she was one of the first fashion icons, I would say. Nowadays people turn to Princess Diana, but at that time, in the second half of the 19th century, it was really Princess Alexandra. She, she nailed it. Everyone wanted to be her. Um, her husband, if people don't know, had many affairs. And she turned the other way, carried on with her philanthropy, and really focused on their family. Uh, being partially deaf kind of helped her because she couldn't hear the gossip as much um, when people were talking in their room about her. But she became queen uh, upon Queen Victoria's death in 1901. So she was queen and empress of India. Uh, and she was queen until his death death a decade later Um, and then she's the dowager queen after and she died in the 1920s and she kind of remains this stalwart society figure much like we see queen mary become after um but queen alexandra definitely is one of those stalwart society ladies kind of like the dowager countess on downton um and she she just remains really popular, even though, like I said, she doesn't say a lot. She isn't as forthcoming as other royals. She was still loved by
1: everyone. It's an amazing story. And her ability to project that calm, stalwart image throughout some of the you know, personal turmoil, her husband was churning up. (laughs) And one of the interesting things is they were Prince and Princess of Wales for so long because Queen Victoria lived for so long that her time as Queen in comparison was actually short in some ways, you know, in comparison to her time as Princess of Wales and then to her time as Queen Dowager. And so she continued to sort of provide that stalwart, stalwart world, for the British royal family, right?
0: Yeah, she definitely did. And obviously, uh, not when she was a dowager, but her husband Edward is also there along for it. But he led a very racy and exciting lifestyle. He was pulled into courts for divorce proceedings, which, obviously, at the time, n- not something you want to be involved in, let alone when you're the Prince of Wales had numerous affairs, many gambling episodes. And Alexandra is calm and collected and poised and really provided that kind of um, continuance that Edward didn't. And I think she isn't given enough credit for that. And She is a Victorian. Obviously, the following period is named for Edward, the Edwardian period, but she is a Victorian um, princess, and she does really display that Victorian morality um, that Victorian Albert strove for um, that her husband rather lacked.
1: That's a great way of putting it. She really fulfills what I think Victorian Albert wanted. Um, On behalf of both of them, because as you say, her husband didn't so much. So we know that Queen Alexandra becomes really interested in photography. So what drove her or led her to that interest? So
0: starting with Victoria and Albert, the royal family as a whole in Britain, and actually most royal families across Europe loved photography. Well, they were one of royals in general were the f- some of the few people who actually had portraits painted of them. They loved this new medium and the immediacy and for Alexandra, I think it's really about her family. While well, her husband is running around, she spent she focused all of her energy on her family. She loved her kids. She spent a lot of time with them. You could argue slightly too much in the case of some of her daughters um, because she does, like Queen Victoria, expect one, maybe more of them to spend their life being a companion to her. But she loves her kids and photography is a way for her to connect further with her kids. And as we'll see in the gift book with the rest of her extended family, you see a lot of the other Royal families in Europe showing up and it's just a way for them to connect that they weren't able to before.
1: That's great. And it really shows us how powerful photography is can be something we take for granted now. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it really was this new and exciting um, medium for connection for among families. So tell us a little bit about the Christmas gift book, because that's such a marvelous project.
0: So yeah, the Christmas gift book, which you can still buy, like I bought one of the original ones. Um, It is a book of just under 140 of Alexandra's personal photographs. So they aren't any formal portraits or anything like that. It's pictures of her family and her life, particularly when they're on vacation. And There's You get to see her sister, the Empress of Russia. You see the last Empress of Russia, and I think three of the Grand Duchesses, when they're small children. Um, You see a very young Edward VIII and George VI, um, along with their father, the Duke of York. It's just, um, it's a crazy, crazy collection when you look at it, Um, but... It's called the Christmas gift book, which is always, I think, slightly misleading because none of these photos are remotely Christmassy. They're mostly vacation photos. But it was released, the book was sold in 1988 for people to buy as a Christmas gift. Um, And the money raised went to 30 different charities that Alexandra chose. Um, And not only was it sold in Britain, it was sold across the British Empire. So in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, etc., And she was also incredibly popular in Europe as well. So it was also sold in Europe and it became a bestseller um, in multiple countries. So it's immediately very popular. But it's meant to be you could give it as a Christmas gift to someone else. And it kind of, I think, is one of the brilliant PR moves because At this time in British history, we're seeing a lot of agitation um, in terms of society. So we're seeing pushing for women to get the vote. Um, We're seeing Ireland is pushing for home rule. There's more and more um, issues with the dominions and the colonies wanting independence from Britain. So the royal family is kind of suffering from bit of a PR crisis, although I'd argue World War I is a bigger crisis. But these snapshots are the perfect way to give um, a sweet insight into the royal family and kind of personalize them more and make them seem like people rather than these foreign figures that sit on a throne and you might see them occasionally. So it serves multi uh, many purposes, but it's it's a wonderful book.
1: Well, I like that idea that it really does personalize in ways that were not available to the general public. I mean, we have so much press coverage now and television coverage, but then most people really got very limited views of the royal family. So this was very much a behind-the-scenes view of the royal family, right, to sort of see them on vacation or in leisure times having fun fun. So what are some of your favorite photographs from this book?
0: So some of my personal favorites. So one, I have a Westie, her name is Agnes. Um, And I love terriers and the royal family love terriers at this time. So there are several photographs of them with their dogs that make always make me really happy. Um, And there's one of Alexandra and her daughter, Victoria, with one of their terriers, where they're both so serious and I couldn't tell you why, but it makes me laugh every time. Um, and then on a more serious note, the other ones that kind of stick out for me are um the photographs of the Russian royal family. So uh, her sister, there are several of her sister, um, the who had the was the Dowager Empress of Russia, uh, Marie aka Mini, um, her on the shore uh at Osborne. And then there's also, as I mentioned before, the photographs of uh, the last Empress of Russia and three of the Grand Duchesses, and they're quite poignant. And I think the Romanovs in particular uh, really suffer from overwhelming image crisis, and it just presents such a different um, image of them than we normally see, and then the the lasting pictures of them. It's typically not little girls playing on a beach. um, And they're really sweet and thoughtful. And when you pick up this Christmas book, especially now, I mean, it wouldn't have had that meaning then, but to pick this book up now, which is just meant to be essentially a really nice fundraiser, and to see the Romanovs a decade before um, they were executed is just heart-wrenching and fascinating all at the same time.
1: That is a great point. And you just never know these moments in time that were captured. And as you said, this is just a little fundraising book. No one would have realized the tragedy to follow and what that moment in time can represent for us and what it can teach us about people as people you know, playing on the beach, and you know now we know what followed pretty soon. So that is great. Thank you so much. Back to our Christmas theme, which um, is a little happier for us. <laughs> uh, queen Alexandra was was not the first or the only queen consort to make a really important impression on the British. Royal Christmas. And I know you've done a bit of research also on Queen Charlotte and her contributions to the British Royal Christmas. So what can you tell us about Queen Charlotte? So Queen
0: Charlotte, again, another one of my favorite royals because she really she also kind of gets lost uh, for her husband, but for different reasons. Um, Queen Charlotte is actually uh, the person who brought Christmas trees and that tradition into the royal family. And Prince Albert gets the credit for it. I'll say Albert and Victoria popularized it. um, And the image of them celebrating around the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve was spread throughout the empire. And so I will give Albert and Victoria that credit. But it is Queen Charlotte who actually introduced uh, the idea of a decorated Christmas tree to the British royal family. Um, and so I believe in the 1790s, there's record of her having a tree for her family. And in 1802, uh, she brought a yew tree into the barracks and decor at Windsor and decorated it for the soldiers serving there and their families. Uh, so I think, It's an older tradition than people often think for the royal family because I think people kind of assume it starts in 1848 with those iconic drawings of Albert and Victoria, but Queen Charlotte kicked off the Christmas party far earlier.
1: Well, that's that's a great thing. And so I would like all of us, when we are looking at or decorating our Christmas trees, to give a thought and a little shout out to Queen Charlotte, because you're right, she's one of my favorites as well, and she does get overlooked a lot. So I really appreciate your bringing up her association with that beloved symbol of the Christmas tree. Now, another tradition that sort of comes a little later, so we've started with Queen Alexandra, then gone back to Queen Charlotte, and now we're going to lean a little bit more into the future, is that idea of the Christmas message that we know now Her Majesty the Queen delivers every year. So what can you tell us about that as a royal tradition?
0: So the Royal Christmas broadcast started with King George V in 1932. He had done a few broadcasts before not related to Christmas, but his advisors thought it'd be a good idea. It'd be a good way to reach out the BBC, which obviously in the early 1930s is only going to be radio. Uh, The BBC was very popular, radio was catching on, um, and everyone had one, so they thought it was a great way for him to reach his subjects. He was not a big fan of it. He did not enjoy it. He was not an entirely outgoing um, person and was not a massive fan, but he did it and he enjoyed it. Or he didn't enjoy it, but he did it anyways. And it continued on because it was very popular. Um, it was broadcast across the empire, and people loved being able to hear their king. Um, and then King George the Sixth, his son, carries it on. We have that little blip, that 326-day blip of king edward the eighth but he actually uh he abdicated on december 11th so he didn't get to do a christmas broadcast um but george the sixth did and george the sixth in a different way from his father he uh he is also very shy but powers through it um and every year they kind of touch on the themes for the year thank people for their support. Um, In the beginning, it's talking about the empire. Um, In the late 1940s, we obviously see a shift to the commonwealth being mentioned. Um, But they are quite religious in tone, especially at the beginning. Even the queen now, when she mentions it, she'll often mention Christian themes. I would say, it's less religious than it was. Um, but it, it certainly is, religion was important to them and is important to the Queen now. Um, but it's a short ish broadcast. I'd say if anyone's interested in the earlier Christmas broadcasts, I would recommend Tom Fleming's book, Voices Out of the Air, the Royal Christmas Broadcast, 1932 to 1981. It's a book where it has all of the text from the first 50 Christmas broadcasts and each year is introduced by just a snippet of kind of what happened that year. So you can understand and have the context for what the monarch is talking about that year. Um, But yeah, the Royal broadcast goes on the radio until the late 1950s. um, And then the queen shifts to the shifts to television. I don't know that she loves doing it. She's obviously comfortable doing it. Absolutely. Um, And when you've done it this long, I think you're always going to be comfortable. Um, I don't know that she enjoys it though, because she also is not the most outgoing person, but she's such a voice of continuity and calm and reason and like as a canadian um it's on in the afternoon for britain but i wake up and it's on in the morning on christmas day here um and now i want to say it was 2013 2014 the royal family got very technologically savvy and they put them on youtube and facebook and probably twitter and you can find them anywhere um you don't have to tune into bbc cbc whatever your national station is. Um yeah, and every year it still keeps going. She's done a few non Christmas broadcasts, but she usually keeps it to keeps it to Christmas Day.
1: And that is just a fascinating history. And I'm I'm intrigued by this book. I'm not I thank you for the recommendation. I'm not familiar, but if you looked at the different broadcasts from 1932 to 1981, what a range of Of royal commentary. That is really fascinating. I have read that although it was difficult, as you mentioned, for George VI, you know, we, if you've um, read much history or know much history about him, he did uh, stutter and he had some uh, resistance, maybe a reluctance to speak publicly. But that those broadcasts, especially through the war, were a tremendous benefit to the people and really positioned him as a leader of his people.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's why I think the radio broadcasts christmas and otherwise were such important tools for the royal family on both sides like i think it gave especially george the sixth i think it gave him a boost of confidence and um to everyone listening across the empire and then the Commonwealth later to hear this and to be able to connect with it. And just one really cool kind of personal history for me, I live here in Winnipeg and in government house, which is the residence of the Lieutenant Governor General of Manitoba. Um, I got to go in the room and kind of stand at the desk where he gave his, um, he gave his Empire Day speech in 1939 from Winnipeg, and it was like a rousing success of a speech. Um, so to be able to sit there, or not sit there, stand there and kind of see the room where he gave it was a very cool moment for me. Um, but part of my own research looks at how the royals connect with people. And when you go back... Even, I'd say, to the 1960s and 70s, the Christmas broadcast is really, really big. Nowadays, like you say, we get a lot from the royals. They're all over social media. They get tons of press coverage, both good and bad. They're everywhere, um, but before, it was so controlled, and it was this one kind of you-could-always-count-on-the-Christmas-day broadcast broadcast being put out, aside from a few times during the war. Um, but you could always count on it going out there. And I think even if you aren't religious, there's still something about it that it's just, it's calming and it's kind of a lovely note to have in your Christmas day.
1: Right. And even if we do get you know more coverage of the royal family, it is a wonderful tradition. And the queen really exemplifies the ability to tap into the tradition and continue what her father and her grandfather did, and yet also use television and, as you mentioned, YouTube and other media to move it into a more popular or more modern feel, but continue with that tradition. It's just an amazing way to do that. And I think... As you point out, the broadcast is a great example of that. So we have looked at various ways of celebrating Christmas and marking Christmas from looking back to Queen Charlotte and the Christmas tree. Thank you, Queen Charlotte and Queen Alexandra with her wonderful Christmas book of photographs that, although the photos themselves are not holiday themed, the idea of the book being a gift you could give at Christmas, right through to the Queen's Christmas Day broadcast. So you can see this wonderful history of Christmas, which is so much a part of the royal family. So thank you so much, Jessica. Is there Anything else that you would like to share about the Royals at Christmas and the ways that their celebrations can really be fun for us to learn more about? I would just say poke
0: back. And if there's an aspect of Christmas that you love, like you love cooking or baking, you can find Royal Recipes to You can try and make their dishes again, or you can find out what gifts they gave each other and try and copy that. Um, But there's something for everyone. So just say, go past the current Royals.
1: That is great advice because we know that history is such a rich, rich place for us to explore and learn and find things that are actually quite similar to our interests today. So, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us and helping us understand the royals at Christmas. And I really love how we have looked at particularly these two previous queens, Queen Alexandra and her photo book, which is, you know, how we started and what I was so taken with your blog about that. I just was so fascinated by that. And also to look at Queen Charlotte who it turns out should get more credit for all kinds of things, including the Christmas tree. Maybe Victorian Albert popularized it, but it was Charlotte who got us going with that. So (laughs) I really appreciate learning those things. Now tell us where we can find you and how we can follow you and connect with you. So you can
0: find me on my blog, and Historian About Town, com and you can find me on instagram at an historian about town also um and then my twitter is an historian blog and that's all a n not a historian it's an historian um yeah you can find me there feel free to send me a message or an email or anyway i love chatting with people and learning more
1: about history so feel free to reach out well, thank you. And I will, of course, include all those links in the show notes. So thank you again, Jessica. It has been a delight to share this time and have a chat with you. I've really been looking forward to it. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Jessica, and historian about town, for joining us to talk about Queen Alexandra and her Christmas gift book, and to let us know a little uh, insight into how Queen Charlotte is the one responsible for the Christmas tree. We really appreciate it. I hope you are having a wonderful holiday season. I appreciate your listening and wish you all the best. So let's keep shaking up history together. (music)